0: Um, Can you see me all right? Because I've got every light on here, but my screen is quite dark, but you've got a clear view. This book of Ephesians is absolutely brilliant and great. Let me just say something about uh, the book of Ephesians before we just begin to talk. The book of Ephesians is all about the church. It's about the united church. It's about the one church. Because at the time of the writing of it, there was the Gentile church and there was the Jewish church and they were separate by and large. And because of it, there was so much confusion and hurt and loneliness and lack of integration. And Paul decided that he needed to challenge this. And and so he did. And in challenging it, The book of Ephesians begins with great theology, theology, understanding God and the Godhead. So it begins with that right the way through Ephesians. And then the second part of Ephesians concludes by giving the practical application to the theology, the great theology that he has declared to the people as a teacher. Now, so that is the background to it, really. We're talking about the creed. Now, I'm sick and tired of talking about Donald Trump and the virus, quite frankly. And this morning is brilliant because we are talking about Jesus. And the book of Ephesians is telling us, Jesus is the one that unites us together. And the creed is just wonderful in that it sets a line in the sand. Now, when I got married, I stood at the front of the church. And I was asked to declare my love for Sue as a permanent love. And, uh, and I did by saying, you'll do all right for me, Cocker. And so <laughs> I made my declaration at that point. But that was a line in the sand as far as I was concerned and other relationships were concerned. When my son was born, Richard, my firstborn, for the first time in my life, I was holding a baby that was mine. I had a baby and we were a family. And if you remember the the film that was out, or the television series out at the time, uh, Conte Kinte, what was it called? Roots, wasn't it? And he had a baby and held it up to the sky. And I got Richard and I held him up in the back garden to the sky and thank God for him. There was a line in the sand. Now we are a family and we're going to live like a family. When I left the motor trade, when I was 20 and a half, maybe one, years of age, went to Bible college, I drew a line in the sand. From this day forward, I'm going to serve God full time. And that was a a line drawn in the sand. When I witnessed at work, when I witnessed at school, again, I was drawing a line in the sand. And I was standing one side of the line. Others were standing the other side of the line. But Jesus was the line in the sand. So the creed reminds us of a line in the sand. The creed also is not definitive, it excludes certain things, it can't say everything. When I was a, a, a young lad, oh, I don't know, nine, 10, 11, my early morning task before I went to school was to go to the shop for my mum. And my mum, Uh, didn't have a formal education, so her writing a list was difficult. So I had to memorise the shopping list. And as a little lad running off to the shop, I had to memorise it. When I got home, I brought the things for the day, and my mum often said to me, you have missed, you've forgotten the main thing. So the creed is great, but it is not definitive And sometimes I might think it's missing something. And it does. But God isn't the God that fills lists and prescriptions, He fills people. But it's a good way of remembering the important issues, the creed. But it's more than remembering, because remembering isn't enough. But remembering. It touches our heart, it touches our soul, and we say, I believe. As we sing songs, and with Jason, we are singing songs, and with it, we are singing, I believe. I believe. When we're witnessing, we're declaring, I believe. When we're praying, we're declaring, I believe. When we're preaching, we're declaring, I believe verbally. When we're living it out, we're declaring with our lives, I believe. I believe God. The Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, as Jim was preaching last week. And when we declare it, it sends a shiver down our spine. It it certainly does mine. And it's a satisfying kind of shiver shiver because in today's society, it's harder and it becomes harder to declare vocally the line in the sand and what we believe our culture and political correctness and trends and influences actually begin slowly to mute our witness. And we end up with globally a faith without a name. I believe in God isn't conclusive. I lived when I was living in Yorkshire, my neighbour next door, she was, went to the Anglican church every single Sunday, midweek, she would go to the Ang- local Anglican church in the village. And I went and I visited her. And when I visited her, she showed me her back garden. And in the back garden, she had Buddhas and Marys and Indian gods and statues all over the garden amongst the plants. And I said, Audrey, what are these? And she said, well, one of them's got to be right. And so I'm just edging my bets. And the word God is sometimes I believe in God is edging our bets. But wham, the second line in the creed is, I believe in Jesus Christ. To give definition, I believe in Jesus Christ. Paul said, you have many gods. We have one God. And the world has many gods. We have one God, and that one God is personified in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. That is station central, I believe. It's the key point. In Hebrews 12, when it says, So then, let us, us, we, our church, fix our eyes on who? On what? On Jesus. Because he is the author, he is the finisher of our faith. Now. If we don't have Jesus as God's son and our own personal saviour and Lord, we don't have any Christianity at all. And we cannot hide behind a romantic notion or us being a so-called Christian country or that I've got a Christian partner or I actually go to church or I know the creed off by heart. It's not enough john wesley knew the creed george whitfield knew the creed martin luther but they didn't know jesus until a particular time when they discovered jesus and he filled their lives and transformed their lives completely the discovery actually gave them a living relationship with a living god through jesus christ in essence, knowing Jesus, they had now a full communion. Do we, with Jesus, a living relationship? We know the Christ of the faith. We know that He is the Founder. He is the Author. He is the Mediator. He is the Applicator. He is the Fountain, the Living Water, the Saviour, the Deliverer. All encapsulated in Jesus Christ. In early days, in Elam, Elam Church, and that's what we are, we used to, uh, uh, our strapline was, we are a four-square gospel. Jesus, the Savior, Jesus, the Healer, Jesus, the Baptizer, Jesus, the Coming King, four-square gospel. And we were taught you sing it, you teach it, You talk it, you proclaim it, you preach it, you live it. Jesus Christ, Jesus, Jesus Christ. And sometimes when we bring Jesus Christ, Jesus into the story outside of church walls, we're afraid of sounding a little bit naive or maybe childish. But it's Jesus, the living God, we're talking about. We claim the Bible teaches. That this Jesus of Nazareth was the divine person, the divine son of God, the incarnate son of God sent from heaven to earth, son of the living God. He was, and we believe and we teach, that this Jesus is our special Christ, the anointed one the long-awaited champion, the long-awaited Messiah, the king, the savior of the whole of humanity and the whole of his church. We believe that this same Jesus that we're talking about in the creed is the one that suffered a criminal's death. We believe that this same Jesus was, though fulfilling God's divine plan and purpose. We believe that he was on that cross, saving, rescuing, redeeming all sinners, you, me, entirely. It was Jesus, Jesus. He was destined to offer his own life. He was paying the death debt for my inherent sin. Lord Elrington's sin, he died for my sin in my place. The death that should have been mine as a penalty for sin, past, present, and future, was just poured on Jesus as my substitute. And that was God's way. Wages of sin, it says, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life because of his death. On the cross, all my sins were laid upon him by God for the iniquity the Bible says of us all, and that word iniquity means compound sin, every every sin upon sin, upon sin that ever I have been and ever have committed, ever been part of. doesn't go away. It builds up. It's compound. But Jesus died for my compound sins. And when he took them away, the Bible tells me that he took them away. It was Jesus that took them away absolutely and completely. And that's why he died on the cross, that I might live, not die. Men took him off the cross laid his body in a tomb, but it was God who brought him out of the tomb alive and transformed that situation absolutely and completely. power of God, and Ephesians talks about it. And do you know this? The power that entered that tomb and the body of Jesus that brought him back to the dead the Bible in Ephesians teaches us it takes no less power to bring you and me from death into life. It is no small matter. It is not as morphing from one to another. It is not some gradual, slow kind of journey that we're not quite, we stumble into it. It's the awesome, miraculous power of God that transforms us from death. Into life. A dead man doesn't know he's dead. A living man knows he's alive. And when you're alive in Christ, you know you're alive in Christ. The miracle has happened for you. And Jesus, through his presence, that same power and his Holy Spirit is with us now. And why is he with us now? having died for us and saved us, is with you and me this very moment to uphold us, to lead us, to inform our living and our lifestyle and our speech and our attitudes, He's here to correct us, to protect us, to provide for you and me, to love you and me, to assure you and me, to bring heaven to earth and earth into eternity. This is all about the church, the body, the bride of Christ that you and I are part of. And I want to tell you that against all odds, whatever's happening In our present generation and today, and with COVID and everything, above all odds, the church will be triumphant against all odds. The whole of life and history of mankind will serve ultimately the purpose of God and His glorious plan and purpose for the church, you and me. And one day, And it could be the next day, he, this living Jesus, he will come again to this earth. And he'll take you and I, the church, to be with him. And you and I, we will see him face to face. He will return to earth in power and righteousness and judgment. He'll come and he'll gather his church together. Now, talk about being ignorant of it. The Bible in Ephesians 2.1 says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, sinners lost. And it's true. In spite of my upbringing, in spite of my works and all my effort, I cannot be saved. The only way that you and I can be saved, saved, is by the grace of Jesus Christ, that died and rose again for you. You see, the story is all about Jesus. Jesus is no halfway house. He's the living God. No one, the Bible says, can come to the Father except, except. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you want to know God, you've got to go through Jesus. I am the door, I am the bread of life, Jesus said. I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection, I am the life, said Jesus. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the vine, I am. Jesus is truly everything you will ever need in life, in death, in eternity. Jesus is the one, and Jesus is the one that the church is about, and Jesus is the one that we worship. Ephesians 1. I'm going to read once again those few verses because it explains it marvelously. Why is Ephesians written? That you may know him better, Jesus. Church, let's begin to get to know Jesus better. Let me read this to you, calling you to the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his great power that is for us this morning who believe. And that power is the same power as God's mighty strength, being exerted in raising Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. He, Jesus, now is far above all rule. He, Jesus, is above all authority, all power, all dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. And God, hear this, has placed all things under the feet of Jesus and appointed him to be the head of everything. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Who are you? You are Christ's body. He is the head. On one day, the body and the head is going to come together, and it'll come together in glory. Who will do it? Jesus will do it. The task isn't complete yet until everyone is given to Jesus by God, joined to him by faith, then the end of the age will come. Possession of the church is Christ's inheritance. And that's why we gather. We are the body of Christ on earth. Amen? Amen, Claude.